0: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, June 9th, and today Tara Palmieri is here to give us a preview of the January 6th committee hearings, airing tonight in prime time. Can the House committee deliver the kind of bombshells and spectacle they've promised as they reveal their findings about the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol? And later on, Ben Landy and I discuss my recent piece about Rick Caruso and the Los Angeles mayoral race and what it says, if anything, about where Democratic voters are at as we glide into the midterms. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. Happy Thursday, everybody. The weekend is almost here, unless you are a staff member working for the January 6th committee uh, in the House. You're going to have a busy few weeks ahead of you, including probably working this weekend. I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri in Washington. Tara, the hearings start tonight. The committee that's been investigating the insurrection for almost a year now, they've subpoenaed like almost a 1,000 people. They have all these text message documents. They are starting their hearings today. But they're doing it in prime time. Why is that?
1: Because they want eyeballs. And if they don't create a national spectacle event, something to sit down to and watch, it was for nothing, uh-huh. right? It's all about attention because this is a political exercise. They can't actually prosecute anyone. Because it is a political exercise, they need to capture the hearts and minds of an audience that will determine who was responsible for January 6th. I feel like everyone keeps going back to Watergate. Whenever there's a trial, like it was like Watergate, oh. Watergate. How did they do it? Everybody was watching. It was everywhere. And people got like goggles to see if people were lying. And it was a spectacle. And the, the people who were on the stands became national sensations. And now it's kind of like, okay, like how do we create memes? And how do we turn this into the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? How do we get people to sit down and watch this thing? And so that is the onus that is on the Democrats and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And that is why they brought in James Goldson, former president of ABC News and my former boss. That's
0: right. That's right. So I think doing some kind of Amber Heard, Johnny Depp strategy where you just like try to release clips and across platforms and get as many people mm-hmm. to see it is useful. We'll see. But the impeachment trial ratings, these like mass tune in political events just do not reach the kind of eyeballs that they did 20 years ago.
1: Totally. And it's interesting that they hired a TV producer, which is important, but I would also think that you would need like social media team, which I know that they do have people working on it. And I know that it's coordinated against a bunch of different democratic groups to get these bites out there, these memes, these talking points, these clips on, on all of the socials to really heighten interest in this. But like you said, there is a bit of fatigue. And I think ultimately like everyone knows that Trump asked these people to go to the Capitol to take back the election. Like, those were the words he used publicly. Yes. Right? So what exactly can they prove? That it was more organized and more coordinated than that? Like, there was some sort of list or, I don't know. It just seems like we know who was responsible for it. Yeah,
0: we've seen the leaks come out. There's been some really good reporting of people, like, getting really important leaks of details from the committee Mm -hmm. of what happened that day. And I'm just like, especially if you're like thirsty, like member of Congress, like Adam Schiff, like you love the media attention. Like what have you already given away the bag here? Like what is left that can surprise the country? Maybe there will be something. Maybe there will.
1: Apparently, the latest in The Washington Post was that Trump's Secret Service agent was ready to take him in the beast, like motorcade, from the White House to the Capitol at the time of the riot. Again, like all of these kind of like incremental pieces that come out, I'm like, we know who is responsible for mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. And if you love Trump, you don't care. And if you hate Trump, it drives you nuts. Yeah. So who are we talking to right now? The independent voters who care about pocketbook issues and maybe aren't watching. They're watching like Grey's Anatomy, but maybe they're not because the networks will <laughs> carry it and then they can't. I don't even know if Grey's Anatomy is still on TV. That shows you how often I watch TV.
0: I don't either. So the Watergate hearings, the Associated Press says, more than 80% of Americans tuned into at least part of the Watergate hearings back in 1973. And then if you fast forward to 2019, the first impeachment trial, 13 million people watched that trial across a bunch of different networks, right? And so like tonight, it won't even be anywhere near 80% of people watching it. Be, I'd be surprised if it was near 8%. What could come out of this, though? Like, in other words, like, would they reveal something in these hearings that could then be like referred to the Justice Department for prosecution? Or have most of that stuff already been happening behind the scenes anyway?
1: I'm sure Merrick Garland knows exactly what they have at this point. He is the attorney general. He knows what the committee has. I doubt they're withholding anything from the Justice Department that is actionable. And yet he has yet to press charges. Now, if this is a political exercise, since they can't actually prosecute anyone, then the whole point would be to apply pressure on the Justice Department, right? Right to prosecute someone, anyone. I mean, the biggest head is obviously Trump. I just don't see, and I spoke to two people actually this week who have known Merrick Garland their entire careers, have worked alongside him, and they're like, if you bang on the desk and scream and tell Merrick Garland to do something, he will probably do just the opposite. Like, he's not the type (laughs) of person who would be. (laughs) Yeah, he's not the type of guy who can be pressured. Like, he's just not. And that's why they chose him. That's why Biden chose him, because he was not a political choice. If the point of this is to build so much momentum and public support to get Merrick Garland to do the things that so many Democrats want him to do, I just don't know. And I think the more feverish it is, the more of a turnoff it will be for him from based on the people that I spoke to who have known him forever.
0: The last thing I want to ask you is, you mentioned you sort at ABC News, James Goldston, who, did he run the network?
1: Yes, he was the president when I was there. Gotcha,
0: so, so he has been enlisted to theoretically like help juice the drama and the spectacle of this by coming in to produce it. You and I have both been in live control rooms, like during Mm -hmm. big pooled media events, like State of the Union or whatever. Mm -hmm. How do you up the drama of a congressional hearing beyond calling for switches between cameras? Like what special talents does he have here? (laughs)
1: Well, I heard that he produced a video that they're launching it with. Sizzle? And I'm sure it's dr- sizzle real. Yeah, I'm sure it's pretty dramatic and you're going to see some of these psychos um, mm-hmm. ransacking the Capitol. So there's some video. He's probably coached the committee with some sassy questions, right? Mm-hmm. That sometimes, as I learned in broadcast, it's not always the answer, Tara. It's the question and how you deliver it, is what I was told. <sighs>
0: That's an audible sigh. Uh. Yeah,
1: audible sigh. Sometimes <laughs> they don't have to answer it. So, there, that's something I'm sure James is teaching them. There is probably some prep work for the witnesses, right? To get them ready and talking mm-hmm. points and sound bites. Maybe there's a lot of video evidence that James has helped with compiling and he understands how to work with the media, get those sound bites out. I heard that he was actually. Um, Filmed on the ABC pool recently, which is kind of hilarious oh, to see him in the in the front of the pool. But the thing about James is, for whatever anyone wanted to say about him, he was regarded as a highly talented producer. Okay, like it was, and and the spectacle was in his DNA. Gotcha. His father actually, like, I think he went to Oxford, but his father was in the carnival business in England, Whoa. and like he just understands kind of like the magic, and I think he understood that about. Disney and ABC and kind of creating this magic. And that's what he's been like long credited for. A lot of people believe that James can pull it off, but I have heard some grumbling from people at ABC who say, this is exactly what the Republicans would love to say. The networks were always in cahoots with the Democrats. Look, your own president of your network is helping the Democrats with this uh, January 6th committee. And so it hurts them, I think, with their credibility, ultimately.
0: It does. I mean, we've already seen this on Tucker Carlson's show. It's just like, this is just the media and Democrats colluding. So many members of Congress want to be contributors for TV networks when they leave and like to be in the mix with media people. And it's just like, dude, like, time out. Think about the optics of this. The C-SPAN network pool or whatever, will be just as dramatic or or not as whatever thing you produce. But the optics are, are not But great.
1: don't tell them that because then what is it?
0: <laughs> <sighs> um, too much sighing. If you start
1: pointing out that people are not um, of use, then, Peter, they come for your head.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, Tara, uh, we'll see if you actually go over there and cover the hearings in person. You do have a The first ever, I think, press pass for the Congressional Gallery, right? That says Puck News. That's our first House and Senate press pass. Congrats.
1: I wore it really proudly. I had to hand over my Politico one to get it. And it says Puck News on it. And I dressed like Tracy Flick today just because it felt like right. And I got (laughs) past a sign that said Senators Only with no escort into the dining room. But I do enjoy a spectacle just like anyone else. So but will they turn this into the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial of the century? Now that is the question.
0: That is a question that depends on audience demand. And as discussed earlier in this episode, I'm not sure the audience demand is there in the way it was for Amber and Johnny.
1: There's also competitive programming. My documentary comes out tomorrow on Discovery Plus. So, you know. Oh, cool. Shameless plug. It's called Dr. Delirium and the Edgewood Experiments. And it comes out tomorrow on Discovery Plus. And I believe it's airing on actual Discovery. The oh, channel, that's tomorrow. awesome. Congratulations. So, I know. So there's some competitive programming. I don't know. <laughs> All
0: right. I won't tell Adam Schiff. Um. That's awesome, though. Congrats. (laughs) Everyone go watch it or download Discovery Plus, and then we can have a separate pod talking about Discovery Plus metrics with um, Matt Bellini or something. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Tara. Totally. Hey, Powers That Be listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com powers that be. netsuite.com powers that be. That's netsuite.com powers that be. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We're going to try something a little different here. My esteemed editor, Ben Landy, is going to ask me some questions about an article I wrote for Puck this week about Rick Caruso, who came at the top of the mayoral primary here in Los Angeles. But you don't have to live in Los Angeles or in any of these primary states uh, that voted on Tuesday to care about the results. So
2: fire away, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We're flipping the scripts here today, Peter. Thanks for having me on. You wrote this incredible piece about Rick Caruso, um... Really, the definitive profile of him right before the results came in. And uh, it looks like he overperformed. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it depends which perspective you are coming at Recurrus from.
0: In the sense that he spent over $40 million heading into this nonpartisan primary on Tuesday, maybe he underperformed. He is slightly ahead of Karen Bass, who he's going to face in the general election in November. He, overperformed in the sense that when he entered the race in February, he was at zero basically and climbed all the way to the top. The biggest like lesson I learned from spending time with him and I think the biggest lesson to extract from the results of, of this election is that one, Rick Caruso himself, a billionaire real estate developer. If you have been to LA or live here, he built the Grove, which is a sort of like really nice mall. And He entered the race with this message of basically law and order. It's not like a dog whistle kind of law and order campaign. There are genuine concerns in Los Angeles about homelessness and second to that crime. And those are the top two far and away. Public housing is like the top issue for 25% of people after that. And he came in basically with thin policy details, but a promise to clean up the homelessness situation and hire more cops. And this point of view... For him, I think comes after watching the mayor's race in New York, where a former cop, Eric Adams, won a Democratic primary and then election to be mayor. City attorney's race in Seattle, where a Republican won for the first time in 40 years by beating a defund the police progressive. And some of the elections we've seen up in San Francisco, the school board recall up there where a bunch of normie Democrat parents ousted three school board leaders who wanted to rename High schools because they were politically incorrect instead of focusing on actually reopening them after the pandemic. The mayor up there, London Breed, has been pretty tough on crime. The DA, Chasa Boudin, got ousted in a recall. There are some lessons to be learned. Like Democrats are willing to vote for people who care about public services and safety. And Caruso's just whole bet on this matter heading into November is that the progressive left on Twitter, the sort of AOC. Bernie crowd, that's not really where normal American voters are. He told me specifically, I am a centrist. The future is in the middle. We'll see if that bears out in November against Karen Bass, we will be running certainly to his left as a, as a
2: progressive. Right. And Democrats are looking at all these races and they are worried because the fear is this is a, a harbinger of what's going to happen in November. Obviously, the Democrats are already expected to be wiped out in the midterm elections. The question is just how bad is it going to be? Do they lose the Senate? And so Democratic operatives are watching these races really closely, looking for signs, as you were saying, to see sort of where they're standing nationally. And the mood does seem to be against them. There is a a real focus on law and disorder in a way that has not historically benefited Democratic candidates. No, it
0: hasn't. I mean, the defund the police thing, I know everyone on the Internet talks about it. It cannot be overstated how much defund the police was a toxic phrase, politically speaking, for Democrats. This goes back to 2020. A bunch of frontline moderate House Democrats, probably embodied by Abigail Spanberger, who roasted the Democratic socialist crowd after she almost lost her race in 2020 because Republicans weaponized the defund the police slogan against them in purple and red America all over the place. Joe Biden won in 2020, but Democrats lost seats in the House and partly because of these culture war issues in particular. Defund the police poll after poll after poll after poll shows that. People of all ages, races, including black people and Latinos want to keep funding at current levels for police or higher. And the defund the police movement, even though you know it's not really being waved around by the progressive left very much in the way that it was in 2020, continues to be a drag. And I think one other lesson to take from some of these primaries, there were seven primaries on Tuesday in a bunch of different states is just some basic political fundamentals that get at the headwinds. Um, Republican turnout in Republican primaries is up in 2022 uh, compared to 2018, the last midterm election. Democratic turnout is down. It's slightly down. And Democratic turnout in 2018 was pretty damn high. So, you know, even if it's slightly down, it's still pretty good. But Republicans are motivated and paying attention. And Democrats, like, I don't know. I mean, I think this it, the fatigue after the Trump years, is still playing out. And we saw that in Los Angeles, for example, <laughs> the primary turnout was like 20% of people voting. It's a different kind of primary system here. In most of these races, the top two finishers were going to advance to November anyway. But the one silver lining I saw actually this week on Twitter was um, Tom Bonyer, who's sort of a democratic specialist in terms of like reading data what, like after elections come in and, and modeling voters and whatnot, was saying that the generic ballot margin Right now in the election, Republicans are up like two or three points over Democrats, which should be good. But in 2018, the generic ballot, Democrats were up like seven or eight points at the same time. So the Republican advantage in the generic ballot compared to the Democratic advantage in 2018 is actually not that great. And he was basically making the point, Tom, was that Republicans are nominating some tough candidates for general elections and they might continue to do so. The sort of MAGA fire breathers who continue to be very unpopular with independents. And that's the one silver lining that Democrats are holding on to, that in certain states, Republicans, and certain House districts, governor's races, like in Pennsylvania, for example, Republicans might just nominate a bunch of fucking lunatics. And like that might scare off suburban voters in Philadelphia.
2: Caruso himself is also sort of an iconoclast in that dynamic, in that he was until extremely recently a Republican, right? And he just changed his registration to to Democratic a few weeks or months right before this race. Yeah, 19 days. You got to spend some time with him. You walked on the, the Venice boardwalk. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, you know, what, what was the sense you got of him? Like, do, do you agree that he is sort of a, a Republican at heart who was maybe left behind from the party and decided to switch to the Democratic Party? Or is he sort of an opportunist who just um, switched it up to, to have a go at this job?
0: It might be a little more of the latter, Look, he's given to Democrats in the past. He gave to Karen Bass, his opponent. I, You know, he was a businessman developer. Anyone like that wants to keep political leadership in both parties sort of at their side. But yeah, he gave to Mitch McConnell. He gave to George W. Bush. He gave to Kevin McCarthy as recently as 2017. He doesn't have this history of being like a social crusader when it comes to Republican politics. Plenty of celebrities like Katy Perry and Snoop Dogg and Gwyneth Paltrow have endorsed him. A lot of you know, L.A. power players like Jay Suris from UTA have endorsed him. His brand feels more like a Romney Republican, like from back in the day. But no, I mean, like the attacks on him from the left, according to my Twitter mentions from progressives, are he is an anti-abortion Donald Trump fascist. And those kind of attacks don't totally square with who he is and the persona he's projecting. It reminded me of Terry McAuliffe in Virginia last November, who like, unloaded on Glenn Youngkin, his opponent, for just being like, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, without having much of a message beyond that. And the Democrats who have been running against Rick Caruso, yeah, he has a ton of money, but a ton of money won't get you anywhere unless you have a real message. If that were the case, like Mike Bloomberg or Howard Schultz would be president right now. Challenge for his opponents is they're caught between the left which wants a more compassionate approach to the homelessness situation, that wants to take a coalition-building approach to public safety. And a lot of people in Los Angeles like don't wanna hear that. Alex Villanueva, who's this hardcore, anti-woke law enforcement guy who runs the LA Sheriff's Department, told me for another piece last year about the California recall, that quote, like your politics shift really quickly when a vagrant takes a shit in your yard. That's a pretty crass way of presenting it, but. That explains a lot of the pro Caruso vote here. Like if you're a homeowner, if you're a taxpayer, if you're a black and brown person and there's a lot of crime in your neighborhood, like shit, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever. I just want you to get this stuff off my street and we'll see if he continues to build a coalition heading into November. I mean, there's a long way to go. And in a head to head race with Karen Bass, like, you know, she has to develop a message that isn't just he sucks. She's got to be a little more proactive, but L.A. is also a very progressive Democratic city, so we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, what's your, um, what's your prediction if you had to make one now? Because Caruso had, um, has the lead on Karen Bass, but there's 15 or so points that were up for grabs that went to a half dozen other candidates that are now presumably going to be redistributed to the two of them in a head-to-head matchup the decisive factor is going to be Latinos. The Bass campaign tells
0: you a really good story about national Democrats too. Over the last two months, according to this Los Angeles Times poll that came out the weekend before the election, Karen Bass increased her support among white liberals by 33 points. She lost support, Karen Bass is black, she's a progressive. She lost support among black people by 26 points in that same window. And so it feels like that reflects sort of this national trend where like white liberals especially college-educated women, are becoming the cornerstone (laughs) of the Democratic Party. But Black and Latino men in particular are, on the national side, have drifted a little to the Republicans around the margins since Obama left. And in LA, like there's going to be a lot of Black and and Latino men who end up voting for Rick Caruso and did in the primary the other day because maybe it's uh, some kind of sexism embedded in the culture. Maybe it's... Rick Caruso looks like this big swaggering rich dude on TV and that has some appeal. But the poll showed there was a rift between black men and black women, Latino women, Latino men. But Latinos are far and away the most undecided block. And Caruso is going after them hard on the law and order thing. But he also gestures toward the fact that he's Catholic, that he likes small business. Like, you know, Hispanic voters, I said this after 2020, if you spent any time in Texas... Over the last 20 years, like I did, like, voters there aren't as liberal as you think. You know, Tejano voters in Texas like guns. They go to church. Slightly different here, different voter set, but they're slightly more conservative than national progressives on the internet think they are. And I think Rick Caruso is making that
2: bet. Thanks, Peter. This is totally fascinating. Are you going to write another piece for this as the um, general election approaches? (laughs)
0: Uh, Because you...